Welcome, everyone, to a brand new week of the 1620 Jays podcast. I am your host, John Bishop, and coming up in this hour, we are going to be joined by Josh Peterson and Connor Happer as we're going to once again explore some new sports that we have not yet discussed here on the 1620 Jays podcast. Head coach Daniel Chips of the Creighton women's rowing team is going to join Josh Peterson here in just a few minutes. And Connor Happer later in the show will take a look around the Big East, the all-conference honors for the men's side, and a look ahead to the Big East Conference schedule in men's basketball. And it was a big week for both basketball teams as the season is oh so close. Both teams were in New York for Big East media days as the Creighton men, of course, number nine preseason favorites in the conference, while the women coming off their first ever Elite Eight, preseason number two in the Big East, and getting a top 25 ranking in the preseason for the first time in school history. And the head coach of the Blue Jays, Jim Flannery, joins us here on the 1620 The Jays podcast. Flan, good to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to be on, and we're super excited for the season. I think when you when you go to media day, you kind of get the vibe that everybody's excited. And I said, I, I've said October's my favorite month because we get to practice. Uh, we haven't lost a game yet and I'm still sleeping pretty well. Um, so, you know, but, but we're just around the corner from getting going here. Does it mean anything to be preseason top 25? Uh, I don't, I think it, I don't think it hurts recruiting. I think, you know, and I think hopefully, you know, a few more people in Omaha say, Hey, we, sh- we should go watch the, the Blue Jay women play. So I think from a, you know, from a, what, what kind of respect you get uh, on the recruiting trail, but also in the community, it can be a good thing. I mean, you, you certainly don't want your players all that caught up into it, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's fine. It, I think it uh, signifies what we accomplished last year and, and how much we return. And um, so I don't know how they feel about it. I'm so so far removed from being their age that uh, but I, I think it's good in, in some other areas that, that don't necessarily, you know, have to do with how good a basketball team we're going to be this year. Do you suppose you might think of it differently based on the season you're coming off of? And yes, I acknowledge, you know, usually preseason rankings come off of what you did the year before. But because you made history last year, you made the great run. Does it does it give you a sense of validation and and it's something you can point to the kids and say, listen, people now respect what it is you did. They don't just see you as some, you know, fly by night team who got lucky for a couple of weekends. Isn't there at least a little bit of validation of what you did last year, even though, of course, it sets a different target on you this year? Absolutely. I think, you know, and and. You know, women sometimes aren't quite as confident at, at age 20 as, as men are. So I don't think it, it ever hurts that they can draw a little bit of confidence from that and, and understand that people do respect what what we accomplished, not just la- at the end of last year, but we had a really good season. I mean, particularly given as young as we were, we played a lot of second year players last year. And um, so I think uh, I think it is validation for that. And hopefully, you know, we we understand that it's that it's that it means that we have enough talent and experience uh, to be successful. And I think that can help you in, in some cases. 
course, you had two of your players make Big East All-Conference first-team preseason, Emma Ronsick and, and Lauren Jensen, two of the first-team selections. When you look at their games individually, where do you want to see them grow, and, and how do you think that process went through the offseason into what you've seen so far as we head into the season? Sure. Well, the, they both can get better on the defensive end. I mean, Emma's only ever going to be six one, and and we ask her to guard <laughs> six three, six four, and sometimes six five. So there are some limitations there. But I, I I've seen some growth defensively throughout the fall. I think her 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 level of uh, confidence on that end, her volume in terms of communicating. I mean, post players should be the best communicators on the floor, right? They've got everything yeah. in front, of them so they can see guards are working through screens and so their vision isn't sometimes as good as the post but I, I really like what she's done there um and and just staying confident with her three-point shot I mean she's got a really good versatility to her game but you know when when you play teams that where she's going to be a little less effective on the block um she's a good enough perimeter player and I think at, at the end of the year she lost a little bit of confidence she didn't shoot the three very well uh, the last several games. So we just want her to stay confident there. Uh, with Lauren, I, it's similar, you know, just keep plugging away defensively. Uh, you know, give us give us somebody who maybe has a little bit more versatility defensively than what she gave us last year. Losing Tatum Rembau, um, you know, means, you know, we maybe have to get a little bit better across the board defensively on the perimeter. So we want her to, to do that. But uh, but we're going to give her the ball a little bit more than we did last year. I mean, I think she she proved that that the ball needs to be in her hands a decent amount. I mean, we've got other kids, but uh, we're going to put her in some a, a few more ball screens maybe than we did a year ago. Uh, and and there's never an open shot that she shouldn't shoot. I mean, she and she and Morgan Molly are are very similar in that regard. I mean, those two when they're open and they don't shoot it, <laughs> our entire coaching staff kind of groans. So. Um, but I think she'll be there. I mean, I think as a transfer a year ago when she came in, you're trying to feel your way. Okay, how aggressive am I supposed to be? And when do I squeeze a shot versus, you know, okay, I got to be wide open. And I think she's, I think she came a long way during the season. And I think she'll start uh, in a good spot this year as far as knowing what what she's capable of on the offensive end. I mean, 43% from three, that's, uh, <laughs> that's already pretty good. So to improve on that, heck, just to match, it's going to be a heck of an accomplishment because you've got to imagine more teams now are going to try to funnel stuff towards her and say, listen, we're not going to just let her catch and shoot. Yeah, absolutely. We've, uh, you know, and, and uh, we've put Rachel Saunders, who is probably our best perimeter defender. We've, played them opposite each other a lot through September and October. And now we'll, we'll have to start playing them together. <laughs> um, but, but, and we've just said, Rachel, you know, do your best because Lauren's going to get that defender and Rachel, it's good for Rachel too, because Rachel's going to guard similar players to Lauren and Lauren's going to be defended by players similar to Rachel. And then when we bring guys in, which we do a couple times a week, um, we tell, you know, we try to put a really good defender, somebody who can kind of, just really try to face guard her and take her out of the game and frustrate her. And <laughs> um, so we've, we've tried to give her the looks that we feel like she'll see once we get in season. Talking with Jim Flannery here on the 1620, the Jays podcast, we get a preview of the Creighton women who, uh, who will be in action on Wednesday in their first exhibition game against Missouri Western. You mentioned Morgan Molly just a minute ago. 
third leading scorer, though she came off the bench per, pretty much the entire season. And you love having that kind of sixth person to come in and and give you the kind of three-point production that she was able to get. I presume she's going to see more starting action this year, right? Yeah, Morgan will probably be on the floor when the, you know, from the get-go. But uh, you know, it just worked out to to bring her off the bench. I mean, I I think our bench last year was was really, really, and I said, it's not even, it's not even fair to call her a bench player because she yeah. was, said she was our third leading scorer and, and per minute played, she was our leading scorer. So I said, it was kind of an insult, but um, I just felt like it maybe was, it worked better because I knew we were going to play eight or nine players. And I've always thought, you know, if you're playing, if you're going to play fewer players, you're probably going to start your five best players, but if you're going to play eight, nine players, you know, you don't necessarily have to start your five best because you want some pop off the bench. You want a little bit more balance in, in terms of what you bring off the bench versus what you're starting. You don't want that, you know, big drop off. So I think it worked out last year, but uh, yeah, she's, she's gotten better. I mean, she's, you know, she's big and strong and, and probably wasn't really ready for the paint as much her first year. Um, I thought she made a big jump last year um, in not settling for threes, you know, because what happened was she was such a good three-point shooter that teams started putting guards on her. They they play her with smaller players and try to get up underneath her and take away her three, and she wasn't really comfortable enough to to exploit the mismatch by going inside. And she really has worked hard to become a much better low post and mid post player. Where when teams decide they want to play her with with smaller more versatile defenders now she can take advantage of them down down low or in the mid post and then if you match more traditionally and you put your bigger player on her she's just so hard to guard because she can shoot it from you know five feet outside the line and she's her footwork's good so she's she's become she's become a much more complete offensive player who do you think is taking the biggest leap you know when you where they left off at the end of last season to what you've seen so far is there is there a player or two that sticks out as like wow this is uh i see some real improvement here yeah i think it's and it's odd but i think rachel saunders you know she's a fifth year um and she wasn't healthy she hurt her she hurt her knee christmas of uh you know two almost two years ago and the the road back was a little longer than it was supposed to be it took her a long time she had some setbacks and at the beginning of last year she wasn't she wasn't healthy. She, she played, you know, pretty limited minutes. And, and for that reason, I don't think she probably had as much productivity as, and partly because we didn't need her to, maybe we didn't need that kind of productivity out of her, but I, I feel like she's really confident. She's played like you would hope a fifth year has played. She's our best perimeter defender. Um, and offensively, she's, she's, there's going to be nights where she's going to give us 12 to 14. It might not be every night, but um, but I think, you know, if, if we've got a couple other people struggling, she's plenty capable. And, and I think, you know, when you, when you, when it's your senior year, a lot of times it just means just, just a little bit more. It doesn't have to mean a lot more, but I think she's been really good. I mean, we've had a lot of kids get better, but I, I'd have to say just from a, from where she was from a health and confidence standpoint, even last year coming off an injury, she's, she's much improved. And speaking of injury, unfortunately, you lost Lexi Unruh earlier in the camp uh, to an injury in fall drills. What kind of impact does that have kind of going down the line? Because you're talking about a redshirt freshman who maybe was going to be in position to give you some depth. 
Yeah, Alexi is probably our best athlete. I mean, she could guard kind of any position, I think. And she would have gotten to play this year. I mean, I don't know if she'd have played. I couldn't give you a minutes number, but, like, she's versatile enough and, and athletic enough. And, you know, if she could get enough game experience to improve her decision-making and just her comfort level on the floor on offense, I think she would have helped us even more and more as the year went on. But, uh, you know, what it does is it just, it just means that next injury is probably a more, a, a bigger blow because I feel like Lexi kind of added depth across positions. We felt like we could, like I said, we could guard her up and down the line pretty much anywhere from a two guard to a five. Um, but, um, you know, and I, I'm hopeful that she can, that she can come back next year. We all are, cause she's been through a lot. Didn't get to play last year either, but, uh, but I just think it means that next injury maybe really could hurt us more than I think we still have enough firepower. Um, but, but that next injury, I think would be, a, would be a little bit more hard to get around if, uh, if we were to have one, especially if it was for an extended period of time, I'm not talking about a, an ankle where you're out right. two or, Something like that. For the newcomers, the freshmen, Kennedy, uh, Kiani, Brittany, is there are, are there roles for these young ladies coming into the season? How do you kind of see you know their roles developing throughout the course of the year? Sure. Well, I th- both Kiani and Kennedy have a chance to be our backup point guard. I mean, Molly Mogensen is going to be our starting point guard. She played 21 minutes a game as a as a sophomore last year and did a really good job. And she's she's ready to be our starter and, and, and have her minutes increase. But um, one of those two should be able to be her backup. Now, Kiani is coming off an ACL tear in January. Um, and she just got cleared actually today to do mostly full contact stuff. So she's, she'd been doing shooting drills and, you know, stuff that didn't involve contact, but uh, you know, so she's, she's behind, but she's also a more natural point guard than, than Kennedy is. So um, Kennedy's done a good job. She shoots it well, and, and I think there's a place for her, but it might be more on the wing. Uh, same thing with Brittany Harshaw. I mean, she's more of a wing player. Uh, and both, you know, the biggest adjustment for freshmen is on the defensive end. I mean, we recruited them because they could, <laughs> you know, because they could pass it and score it and do those things. But the game is just quicker, um, and, and typically their heads are spinning on the defensive end. But uh, I think those two will um, – you know, Kennedy and Keani, one of them is going to end up being our backup point guard. We haven't really, Keani just hasn't had a chance to, to give us much of a look in practice. And, but uh, I think they, they have a chance to play. And the only problem is, uh, like I said, Keani was, this was the first time that she had been in practice today. And so I was calling her Keanity. So we've got Keani and Kennedy, you know, we had, we had Tatum and Temi in the same class for they came in the same year. And I don't know how many thousands of times I called Tatum Temi and Temi Tatum over the over the course of their careers. And now I'm gonna have Keani and Kennedy and I'm gonna say stuff like Keanity. <laughs> you, you need to develop more nicknames, you right? know. I mean, like last year with the men's team, you had all these yeah. Ryans, so you had Big yeah. Ryan and you had R two. So at least, yeah. yeah, there was something easier. So maybe we need to, you know, yeah. either that or just ask our parents, you know, to you know try to name right. their kids, you know, without the same <laughs> letter. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and as you get older, you know that that gets harder. You just, oh yeah, you look at somebody and you know their name, and it doesn't come out right away. 
Well, I have a younger brother, Jeff. And so occasionally mom would say Joff because she wasn't sure which one she was talking to. So it just kind of went there, you know, (laughs) talking with Jim Flannery as uh, we get ready for the season. uh, And speaking of the season, um, I don't know who does your schedule, but that person should probably be uh, be reviewed because your first three opponents out of the gate, South Dakota State, South Dakota, Nebraska, all of them are either currently in the top 25 or just on the cusp of the top 25. But, I, you know, in talking to Mac, you know, he said, I've got a team that it can play a schedule like we're set to play. I have to imagine there's a similar philosophy here. Uh, not that you know exactly where these teams are going to be ranked coming into the season, yeah. but, you know, you know what you have coming back, your top three scores and so much experience that there's some confidence there that, hey, if we're going to get started, let's get them started quick. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I maybe wish it would be would be slightly easier at the beginning, but uh, it's it's fine. I mean, we've I said we're blessed and cursed because we we're we're so close to South Dakota, South Dakota State, Drake, and Northern Iowa, and all those schools are are really good mid majors looking for games, and none of the Power Fives will play them. I mean, they they don't get you know so, uh, and they're great games for us. I mean, they're. um but they're but they're really hard games and that's that's good and bad right because it's it's easy travel it's it's good for your budget it's good for to develop regional rivalries your fans enjoy it but but they're tough games I mean they're they're really tough games and Nebraska is going to have a really good team this year Amy's got a lot coming back and South Dakota State won the NIT uh they returned probably I would guess five of their top seven. I mean, they lost a couple pretty good players, but um, they're going to be good. South Dakota lost a lot. They, they graduated all five starters off their sweet 16 team. So that's a game that's, you know, that's a team that's hopefully not quite with where they were a year ago, but it's, it is a tough start. And then we finish it with Stanford uh, right before Christmas, our non-con. So uh, and Stanford, you know, has been in the last two final fours, won the national championship two years ago. So we actually have, we end the we we go into Christmas break playing a Final Four team from a year ago, and we come out of Christmas break playing UConn, who was in the Final Four a year ago. So <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of Christmas it's going to be. It could be really good. It could be not quite as good as we we'd hope. And if memory serves, going into Christmas last year, you went down to Arkansas and got a big win. Yeah, yeah that was huge. I felt like that was probably as good a win. We we actually had they they plunked the game at Providence in. Um, so we went from Providence, had one day prep to beat, to go to Arkansas. And we won that game on one day prep in a road, true road game. And I thought that was probably the biggest win of the year. Cause it got, kind of, I think it told our kids that we were maybe a little bit more able to compete at a really, really high level than, than even they thought. Cause we really controlled that game when it led double digits, almost the entire last 25 minutes. And. So I think there was there was a lot of good there, and yeah, those those games going into Christmas are are can be good or bad, and you know, but but either way, you've got to you know you've got to flush it and get ready, and um, but but you know, going back, our, our non-conference schedule is tough, but we have a team that can handle it, and and uh, you know, the the bottom line is you've got to you've got to play good teams to get good wins, and at the end of the day, the the selection committee has so many metrics available. It's not like the old days where Oh, you got to win 20 games or, you know, you're going to, that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is, did you beat good teams? You know, and even, and now with the net, even, you know, the, 
how bad you beat them or how close you lost is, is important. So, you know, last year we, in the old days with the RPI, we beat Butler twice by 50 last year. Well, they were one in 28 in the old days. If you're, if you're working just on RPI, our RPI would have dropped, you know, 10 points just because of how, of what Butler's RPI was. But when you beat them by 50, your, your RPI or your net actually goes up. So I actually do like the net. Um, probably more than how they used to select teams. But at the end of the day, like I said, I mean, you got to go swing away against those good teams and you got to beat enough of them that at the end of the year, people know that you're a good team. Give me a forecast on what do you see up ahead for the Big East? Obviously, we know UConn is UConn, but how does everything stack up behind you two? Yeah, well, I think, I, I mean, I think the next few are pretty, you know, us, Villanova, DePaul, Seton Hall, and Marquette. Those, those five, you know, um, we're all in postseason last year. DePaul went to the NCAs and they didn't finish strong. And they were they were poor in the NCAA tournament, didn't didn't show very well. But you know, Villanova ended up winning a game in the NCAA tournament. They they returned the player of the year. Seton Hall made it all the way to the finals of the NIT, lost in at South Dakota State, and then Marquette won a couple of games in the NIT and they they returned a decent amount. So I think I think the five of us uh you know, and hopefully we're at the top end of that. <laughs> um, and then St. John's is a team that I think probably similar on the, on the men's side, they're a team that from a talent standpoint, they always scare you. It's a question of whether they, you know, have, they put the pieces together in the right way. Um, Cause they've always had a few transfers and um, but they might be the next team, but uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be good. I think there's enough good teams that, that, uh, that the league can can easily expect to get three or four in and hopefully four. And, you know, if, if we're really, really solid, maybe we could even get a fifth in, but um, UConn's definitely the favorite, even, even not having Paige Beckers. I mean, they've got, uh, I think a kid, a freshman kid that they say is dunking in practice. So <laughs> I'm not really looking forward to that, um, but they're, but they're a little thin on the perimeter. I mean, I think they will be really good inside, but, I think on the perimeter, they'll be a little more thin maybe than they've been. So we'll see, but I think they will be, you know, they certainly deserve to be the preseason favorite, but I think, I think they're gettable in terms of, of maybe one or two times somebody will get them. Villanova got them last year and, and we let them at half in our game at home. So I think they're, you know, it's, it's not the, and I don't want to <laughs> gotta be careful here, but you know, the team that they, that won four in a row from whatever, 2011 to 2015, they're not, they're not in that category where they've got, you know, seven WNBA players um, that are upperclassmen They're So, but they're still good. <laughs> UConn is going to be UConn and Hey, you got to have that target to chase. Uh, yeah. If, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're going to make that next step. And of course, Creighton women made the biggest step of all elite eight. You don't see that around these parts. Very often, first program, first basketball program at Creighton to make the Elite Eight level in basketball. Fans, I know it's going to be an exciting year on the men's side, and I know a lot of people are going to be packing the CHI, but make sure you invest a little time, get on over to Sokol Arena, and watch this Creighton women's basketball team. They put on such a great show at the end of last year, and now the momentum is carried into a brand new year. Jim Flannery, the head coach, 
Flan, good luck. Go get them. And uh, we look forward to seeing what the future brings because uh, if it's half as good as last year, it's gonna, we're going to be in for a great season. But we'd like a little bit better than half of last year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think, I think uh, Creighton and Omaha should be excited about both programs. I mean, I know Max got – I mean, I, coaches don't talk that much. Uh, they usually downplay how good they are, but they're, they're – their staff is really excited and our staff is really excited about the team that we have. They're fun to be fun to be around. I think that it's a group that, that can get better as the season goes on. And, you know, you're always a little bit susceptible to injuries, you know, but, uh, but I think if, if we can stay healthy, it could be a great year and a fun year. I'm knocking on wood right now for all of us. Keep these, keep the boys and the (laughs) girls healthy. That's all we ask coach Flan. Thanks for joining us here on the 1620, the Jays podcast. Thank you much, John. Once again, 1620 The Jays podcast spreads its proverbial wings as we try out yet another new sport. This time, it is women's rowing. And their head coach, Daniel Chips, is with our Josh Peterson. Josh? Thank you so much, John. We welcome now on to 1620 The Jays podcast, the head coach of the Creighton's rowing team since 2001. It is Daniel Chips who joins us today. Coach, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing doing excellent. It, you, you were hired back in 2001. I'm curious, how has the sport of rowing changed? How have the athletes changed? We talk so much about that in all the other sports, you know, this group right. of athletes, different than that group of athletes. How would you say that the sport and the athletes have changed in rowing? Um, I think, you know, like like every athlete, um, they, they've just, you know, they've matured a little bit. They've um, gotten taller. Uh, which is nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've changed. Just the whole mentality has changed a little bit from when I took over um, in 01. But, uh, you know, I think there's a little more interest now than there was, you know, back in 01. Uh, we've had some very good success the last couple of years and looking kind of to build on that this year. What would you say, what would you attribute there to being more interest in the sport, do you think? It, well, it's funny. We get every four years, we get a big group uh, around Olympic years because the uh, U.S. Women's Olympic Aid has been so good for so long that during those Olympic years and people seeing it on TV, they go, oh, there's rowing. And I send out an email uh, trying to recruit all incoming uh, females, freshman females coming into Creighton. So that's kind of where I get some of my athletes from. That's awesome. You know, we'll, we'll see athletes in other sports. They'll incorporate rowing into their workouts um, I'm I'm curious what with with rowers what other uh, workouts are, are your athletes incorporating uh, as they get ready for a season whether it's in the off season or in season as well. Um, you know, a lot of running, a lot of biking, just anything where they can get that heart rate up, really work on that that cardio base is really kind of what we do. We do a lot of long, slow, not slow, but long, like sixteen thousand meters on the erg, which takes just a little over an hour depending mm-hmm. on your fitness level. Uh, we just do a lot of that. So anything where they can get that cardio base up um, helps us when we get to that that season. You're competing. You're, you're, your team is competing in the head of the Charles this weekend. First time in school history. For those in the audience who don't know, could you explain why this is such a big deal for Creighton? What makes this event so special? Well, it's the largest uh, regatta really in the world. 
um, a lot of people, a lot of people don't know about rowing, but if you think about like, you have to qualify for the Boston Marathon, you got to qualify for this. You have to submit an application. I submitted the application in um, August, didn't wait and didn't hear, didn't hear until, you know, September, what, end of September, early October, whether we got in, whether we were able to go. And I, you know, I have to thank uh, Marcus Blossomer AD for kind of saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's get this done. So really excited to be taken, you know, and unfortunately I don't get to take the whole team. I'm just taking one eight, um, but one eight's a good start and who knows how many we can take in later years, but really excited to be able to take, to take um, that eight out to, to Boston to row on the head of the Charles. Uh, obviously it's a competition. And so you're thinking about the competitive side of it, but, but Ooh. do you allow, do you allow yourself to, to take in like, I guess, how are you going to approach it once you arrive knowing you're there to, to do something, but you're also uh, at a pretty special event? Yeah, no, we're going to, we're going to take in the whole, the, kind of the whole atmosphere. Um, the only practice time where we can get out and actually row the course before our race is Friday. So we mm-hmm. actually leave Friday morning. Um, the, the boat and I will leave Friday morning. Uh, we'll fly in. We'll get to Boston. We'll row on Friday. And then we have Saturday kind of to take in the event. Um, yeah. We we're lucky that we have some people that we're going to be there to cheer for. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of our assistant coaches who has been away on for, for her quote unquote real job uh, is going to be racing on Saturday. Um, our boatman uh, Ray Griggs, who is who won a national championship for Navy in 80 uh, and the men's in the IRAs for won that national going to be rowing in a um, Navy alumni boat on Saturday. Um, and then we have uh, Rachel Dowd, who is uh, one of the coaches daughters is going to be racing a the youth single on Sunday morning. So we got people to go and to cheer for. I have some recruits that I'm recruiting that are going to be out there. I'm going to get to see them row. So it's, it's going to be a good weekend. We're really excited about it. Uh, we're going to take in the whole event and to get ready for our race on uh, Sunday at 226. Would, would you say the athletes are ready? Like obviously big, big moment, you know, with the pressure and everything. Yeah. How, how do you think they're handling that? Oh, I think they're doing really well. I think, good. you know, we got to go first time. You got to go in. You got to got to soak up the environment and go out and, and row like you know how to row. They're rowing really well right now. Um, you know, we had a couple cold mornings, so we're going to try to get out uh, in an afternoon here and just get out and row and have fun with it. Because if you're tight and you're nervous, it's not going to. It's like anything. It's not going to go well. Just go out, have fun with it, and they'll, they'll do a good job. Coach, before I let you go, you just mentioned recruiting, and you know, obviously, this is the, the sport that you know, and and so I imagine a lot of us on the outside are like, how is recruiting different inside of rowing versus basketball or baseball or football? Again, given that this is what you know, how how is that approach, especially since rowing, there's not as many athletes, I guess, competing in rowing across the country as there are football. What what's it been like uh, throughout your career? Um, you know, um, it's it's interesting you, because. <laughs> You can row a lot of like you can play football, but you can row like Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and a lot of schools have club teams, which is just like a student organization. Um, Creighton actually used to. Wait, technically, we still have a men's club team. They just haven't rowed in probably eight or nine years. Um, and you know, I rowed at Creighton. I mm-hmm. was on the club team for two of the four years. 
And then two of the years that I was running at Creighton, it was, men's was actually a varsity sport. But you can roll a lot of different ways. And you have to find that athlete that loves the sport, wants to, you know, we practice six days a week when we're on the water, just like any of the other sports. We practice so much. Who wants to come in, work in that in that system, but also who's going to become a, be a good student. Because as you know, Creighton is a very hard academic school. So we have to find those students that are really going to perform well athletically, but also in the in the um, classroom as well. Absolutely. Daniel Chips, he is the head coach of the Creighton rowing team heading out to Boston this weekend. Coach, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Good luck in Boston. Have a good time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. John, back to you. As we mentioned earlier, it was a big week for Creighton men's and women's basketball as both teams were in New York City for Big East Conference Media Days. The Blue Jay women picked second with a first-ever AP preseason poll ranking. And the men, well, they are the overwhelming favorites to win the regular season championship, picking up all but just a couple of the first-place votes. They also got a preseason poll ranking in the AP of number 9, which is their highest preseason poll ranking of all time and just two spots away from their all-time program high of number seven, most recently reached two years ago by the team that advanced to the men's Sweet 16. Well, to take a closer look at the preseason expectations for the Blue Jay men, let's turn it over now to Connor Happer. All right, thanks, John. Welcome back. More of the 1620 The Jays podcast this week. It was a big week. We had preseason AP men's and women's basketball pulls out. You could feel it. College basketball is coming right around the corner. In fact, Creighton's going to play, the Creighton men are going to play an exhibition next Sunday, October 30th at home. So we're just, you know, by the time you're listening to this, about a week away from basketball at the CHIL Center. It's going to be awesome to get back in there. But Both teams come back with extremely high expectations for the 2022-2023 season. And they're getting uh, getting rewarded for it on top of it. And the preseason predictions might not mean anything uh, to coaches, to players, but it is a perception thing. And you look around the country, and there are going to be a lot of eyes on the Creighton men's basketball team this year and the Creighton women's basketball team this year both come in in preseason AP top 25 polls. They're both a top two picked in their in the Big East this year. Um, it is a really, really good time to be a Creighton basketball fan at the moment. I want to take you through, uh, as we just sort of update the week here, I wanted to take you through um, exactly what we saw this week in, in preseason polls and, and all Big East selections and things like that. So, um you know, most of these stats on the AP side here, on the men's side, come from uh, come from good friend Rob Anderson of the Creighton Athletic Department. Some statistical things. Creighton coming in number nine in the preseason AP top twenty-five. It is the nineteenth time in program history that Creighton's been ranked in the top ten at any point, and with all but one of those weeks happening under head coach Greg McDermott, it was the fifth time in program history that writers have voted Creighton into the top 25 in the preseason. Uh, the only other times that happened was 06-07, uh, 12-13, 16-17, and 2020 and 2021. All four of those teams ended up in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that is an expectation for Creighton men's basketball this year. Um, but they may be shooting just a hair higher, 
I would guess. So just the fifth time in program history that they're in the AP Top 25 preseason and the first time in the AP Top 10 in the preseason. Uh, this is only the 19th time in program history that Creighton's been ranked in the Top 10 at any point in any AP poll during any week. Um, all but one of those happened under Coach McDermott. Um, so they're, and, and just to start off the year here, they're two spots away from their highest ranking in program history, which is seventh. I've done it a couple different times, most of them actually recently in recent memory. So you look at the top 10 here, and, and you'll notice the theme. And, man, even the top 25, you got some Maui Invitational teams in here. I, one of the things that I wonder about, Josh and I talked about a couple weeks ago when we were breaking down the schedule, you look at the Maui Invitational, and, and you know, Creighton's going to be one of the better teams in it, or at least from an optics standpoint, from an expectation standpoint. Things are always a little bit slow to start the year, but just take a look at the top 10 here. North Carolina, um, the runaway favorite as, as the number one team in the country preseason. Gonzaga there. Uh, Houston gets a number one vote. Kentucky gets two. Kansas and Baylor tied for fifth. Duke comes in at seven. UCLA, Creighton, Arkansas round out the top 10. But let, let's go through this again. So Creighton is mentioned in the same breath and I always have to sort of recalibrate when I talk about this. Creighton is mentioned in the same breath as these Blue Bloods preseason AP top ten teams. That I mean, you get the you're getting the benefit of the doubt, right? To a to a great extent. And the teams that are up there every single year, fighting for national championships, final four appearances, those are the blue bloods of the sport. And those are the teams that Creighton is being mentioned in the same breath with right here. North Carolina, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Baylor, Kansas, Duke, UCLA. I mean, it's really unbelievable. You also have Houston, who's been a great team over the last couple of years. Creighton, Arkansas, that's your top 10. Um, that is a heck of an accomplishment. I know, once again, I know that coaches don't love the, the preseason hype and, and, and you know the polls don't mean anything, and they don't, but it is a really good snapshot in time of what people feel about this team, and they are mentioning them with the best of the best. So that's the AP Top 25. Creighton is in at number nine. And then you got, um, we're talking about the men's side here. We'll get to the women's side in just a second. And then you got the the Big East selections, uh, which came out as well with Big East Media Days um, happening in Madison Square Garden earlier in the week. Creighton, no surprise, picked to win the league, number one. So first time in the Big East. And all the other times, there's there's been ten other times they've been preseason favorite in their conference. Um, at all the rest of those, were in the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, so each of the previous nine times, Creighton's been a preseason favorite to win their league. They have been in the Missouri Valley first time in the Big East. Um, I don't think that's particularly a surprise. In fact, I don't know if there's too many times since Creighton's been in the league that Villanova hasn't been picked to win it. Um, to be honest with you there. So you look you look further and, um, you know, so this is one of the things that was pretty interesting and Ryan Kalkbrenner talked about it a little bit this week. Adama Sanogo from UConn was, was named the Big East preseason player of the year. And that actually takes him off the all Big East first team and allows Kalkbrenner to have a spot. And Kalkbrenner had some, had a, had a thought or two on um, what happens when those two teams play and, Maybe a bit of a rivalry growing there. Who wouldn't? I think UConn sort of brings that out in, in teams occasionally. Ryan Kalkbrenner, first team, all Big East, even though he is 
not the preseason player of the year as Adama Sanogo is at that same sort of spot, I suppose. Um, so that's Creighton's only first-teamer. But then second-teamers, Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Nemhard, a lot of respect being shown for those guys. And Baylor Shireman, the newcomer, uh, gets all Big East honorable mention to start the season. Creighton, had a, Creighton got 8 out of 11 votes uh, to win the league. They finished number one. Xavier uh, is second in the preseason poll, and Villanova is third. UConn-Providence rounding out the top five. Uh, so four all Big East selections when you include Baylor Shireman at the honorable mention, um, and that is the most all conf- preseason all-conference selections that Creighton has had in its time being in the Big East. In fact, by double, there's a couple of years in there where they had two. Uh, Maurice Watson and Marcus Foster were uh, Big East honorees um, in 16-17. Foster and Kyrie Thomas in, in 17-18. And then Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballack in 2021. No all-Big East selections to start the season last year. Remember, we're only one year away from Creighton being a, just a huge unknown. And what's going to happen next? And obviously they put it together last year, and that has resulted in four all-conference selections in the preseason. So once again, preseason is only preseason, and it doesn't mean everything, um, but a lot of eyes are going to be on Creighton basketball on the men's side this year. And then you go over to the women's side. Honestly, it doesn't look that much different. Um, Creighton is picked to finish second in the Big East coming off of their um, uh, Elite Eight uh, run last year, which was, I mean, fantastic. You can listen to Josh and I talk about this on a previous podcast, but their schedule is is really, really tough this year, and they're going to be the focus of a couple, you know, a whole bunch of TV games and things like that as well. UConn is the pick to win the league. Not a huge surprise there, although they did not. They are not a unanimous pick uh, to win the league at the, as they get 10 votes out of the 11, Villanova gets the other one, but they come, they come in points behind Creighton. So Creighton really picks most, if not all, of the votes up for second place in the league, the top challenger uh, to UConn this year uh, in the Big East. Of course, coming off of their, like I said, Elite elite Eight run in preseason All-Big East team. They sort of, they, they on the women's side, they just sort of list um, a whole bunch of names at once instead of doing a first team, a second team. So they have preseason player of the year. It's Maddie Segrist from, from Villanova. Um, freshman of the year they picked before the year, and that's Ayanna Patterson from, from UConn. But two Jays make it on the preseason all-Big East honors list. Lauren Jensen, no surprise there. Hit the big shot at Iowa, play the highlight. Uh, and Emma Ronsick, uh coming back. She gets uh, nominated on the list. And uh, Morgan Molly is an honorable mention preseason selection in the Big East. So this is another example of a program that gained a lot of notoriety for itself last year in the NCAA tournament, obviously notably with the upset over Iowa. How do you come back from that? Well, you're going to have a lot of eyes on you this year, and and Jim Flannery scheduled a heck of a schedule as well, uh, but no shortage of... um, opportunities for the women's side on the Blue Jays here uh, to make some noise in the early going. They're going to start off their exhibition season next week, uh, Wednesday the 26th against Missouri Western. So, yeah, you can get back in the arena even sooner 
Um, if you want to go down to Sokol Arena and catch the uh, uh, catch the women play, first regular season game test right out of the gate, uh, Monday, November 7th. That's the first sort of start of college basketball day at South Dakota State. Um, that was, I believe, an NCAA tournament team last year as well. So just wanted to keep you guys updated on the, the, the expectations. They're not going away. They're not going anywhere. And some Jays are getting honored with uh, preseason all Big East selections. Oh, by the way, uh, almost forgot to mention this, almost skipped over the entire thing. I mean, it's it's historic, not only in the sense of Creighton men's and women both having success at the same time but and being recognized for it at the same time, but for the women's program individually, you have Creighton women's basketball ranked in the preseason AP Top 25 poll. Um that's, I mean, if you've been, if you've seen this program for a long time, you know how sort of how special that is. It's been a good, hardworking program for a long time, and now getting recognized uh, for what it is, which is one of the one of the premier sort of developmental programs, I think, in the in the country on the women's basketball side. Um, only four other times in school history have the Jays on the on the ladies' side shown up in the AP top 25 and um, you know, three of them were for a three week stretch in March of 92 showed up in the top 25 in March of 2017. And then again, in the preseason uh, highest tied for the highest ranking ever in school history, number 21. So highest preseason ranking in school history, obviously for the first time, um, opening the season in the AP top 25 that is historic um, but just putting put, putting it in context excuse me only been ranked four other times in school history um, and the fifth comes in a preseason so you know if you if you win out of the gate you're gonna have a chance to be there all season long so there's your update and it was big news this week uh, for the men's and women's side. Uh, for Creighton basketball, can't wait to get back in the arenas here shortly, uh, both for Jim Flannery's crew and Greg McDermott's, and uh, just generally cannot wait to to see what this season holds for clearly both teams who have high expectations and are not shying away from it. That's it for me this week. I'm Connor Happer. We'll send it back to John Bishop. As we wrap up this week's edition of the 1620 The Jays podcast, let's take another look around where Creighton Athletics will be competing this week. Women's volleyball will be in action on the road in Philadelphia Friday night at 6 o'clock against the Villanova Wildcats and then late Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. First serve in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown. The men's soccer team is back on the road. They're in Milwaukee to take on Marquette. That will be Saturday night at 7 o'clock. The women's soccer team back in action Sunday afternoon at noon. They will be taking on the Xavier Musketeers. You just heard from Coach Daniel Chips. The rowing team will be in Boston at the head of the Charles event. That will start Sunday afternoon. And then next week, the first of two women's exhibition games. Wednesday night, 6 p.m. tip-off against Missouri Western over at Sokol Arena. Women's soccer will be back home next week on the 27th. That's a Thursday against the Butler Bulldogs. And then the volleyball team back in action next weekend, continuing that long road trip as they will be headed off to Seton Hall next Friday night at 5 o'clock. 
Well, that'll do it for this week's 1620 The Jays podcast. Want to thank our guests this week, Daniel Chips, rowing coach and women's basketball head coach, Jim Flannery. For my colleagues, Connor Happer and Josh Peterson, I'm John Bishop. The 1620 The Jays podcast has been a co-presentation of Creighton University Athletics and NRG Media Omaha.